If you follow the calendar that's put out uh, by the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and I don't think it's even just our calendar anymore, you will know that today is a day that we call Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, Last year I had what I found out after the fact. I thought it was just a, a, a way to communicate numbers um, I found out that it was actually a pretty explosive illustration. Um, if y'all remember the BBs and the, the buckets uh, last year, um, I still haven't gotten over the first time I saw that. I don't really have that explosion of an il- explosive of an illustration this year. Um, but what I do have is a heart full of something that God has been on me about all week. Um, so I'm hoping that that will prove to be explosive enough uh, this morning. Um, so I, I was praying before I came up here. I said, Jesus, this is what you want me to do, so here we go. Um, rather than just preaching on the sanctity of human life as regards abortion this morning, which is what we are, we are going to talk about it. Um, I know that it's a, it's a hot-button topic. Um, we are going to talk about that, but I am not just going to talk about that. Rather than just talking about the sanctity of human life, I'm going to talk about the sanctity of humanity itself. That it is actually sacred to be human. Humanity itself is sacred. It is special. It occupies a special place in God's heart. And if we are a people called by God to follow God, to have His heart, then humanity should be sacred to us as well. Every part of it from cradle to grave. So if you will turn to the first chapter of the book of Genesis, starting in verse 26, you can stand with me out of the respect um, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then we're going to talk about the holiness and sanctity of humanity. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, we thank You for today. Lord, we thank You for the blessing of being made human. We thank You that You have occupied a special place in Your heart for humanity. Lord, we thank You that You view us with a dignity that we do not deserve because we are dust. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to see this morning... See humanity the way you see it, as much as our finite little minds and eyes can handle it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've only got two points this morning. Yes, you can be seated. I've only got two points this morning, and I want us to look at the special place in God's heart that humanity at every stage, the special place that humanity at every stage has in God's heart. First, I want you to see that humanity has a special identity. Humanity has a special identity. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There are a couple of different signs of human value just in this verse. The first is the order of creation. Now, the rest of creation is not necessarily in this verse, but I went to go see um, one of my friends uh, that I grew up with. Well, really, he grew up ahead of me. He's a few years ahead of me. But he, he professionally sings now. He lives in New York. He's really good. Um, and for some reason, unbeknownst to me, but that I'm very thankful for, the group he sings with was down in Dublin this last week. So we drove down to Dublin to go see them. It was amazing. He's great at what he does. But you could tell throughout the concert, concerts have a national, a natural build, don't they? That they start, you know, they start pretty hard, and then you kind of get to the meat of it, and then they build and build and build, and then you got the big final number. You've got the finale. Well, if you go back to creation at the beginning of Genesis, you get the very first thing that happens. You get raw and light. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Boom, right there. You've got all the raw matter of creation. God, God put all, he dumped all the Legos out in the floor and now he's going to build something out of them. So very first thing, he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God starts out, boom, all the raw matter of creation. Now let me turn this into something beautiful. Then God said, let there be light. Boom, now there's light. You've got raw matter and light, day one. Day two, the waters below from the waters below. above. He separates the waters. You've got the sky up here. Y'all, we're a super scientific generation, right? We know there's water up there. Sometimes it even comes down here. So there's water up there. There's water down here. You've got the oceans. He separates them out, day two. Day three, Part some of the water. God's good at doing that. And what do you get? Dry land. Tells the ocean, you can't, you can't go any farther than this. I think that's one of the most beautiful passages in, in Job. Have you told the ocean how far it can go and no farther? That God limits the ocean and says, you will stop here. And the dry land will be right here. And then after he makes the dry land, plant life. He calls plant life into existence. And that shows up. Then day four, you get all the lights in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, everything, all the celestial bodies in their courses. You get that on day four. Aquatic life and bird life on day five. Any of y'all ever seen Planet Earth? Ever seen the, the nature documentary? Planet Earth, uh, Blue Planet 2 just came out. Sir David Attenborough, it's, he's the British guy who tells you about all the animals and all their amazing... You know, you know, you just watch it just to listen to his voice. But the photography, the cinematography is amazing where you see these. You know, we had to stop watching it last night because Emily was like, oh, look at the cute bird. And it lands on the water and then this animal comes out and just like eats it and dives under. And she got sad, so we had to change it. But just the amazing majesty of seeing these creatures, they're, they're amazing. So that, but that's day five. You're fishing birds. Day six, he starts out with animal life. All the, all the beasts, everything that moves on the earth. You know, Fido, day six. Yogi the bear, day six. But then what happens at the end of day six? The big finale. Verse 26. Let us make man in our 
image. You know, humanity is the first thing that the Trinity has a conversation about. Have you ever noticed that? Let us? It's a plural. The Trinity calls a conference to talk about the creation of us. Everything else up to this point, God says, light, boom, light. Plants, let there be plants, boom, there they are. But then you get humanity, let us make man in our image. We're unique. There are things about humans that nothing else in all of creation can say. God made us in His image. If you're a man, you're made in God's image. If you're a woman, you're made in God's image. If you're a little boy, if you're a little girl, you're made in God's image. Every single one of us, without fail, bears that distinction. Now what does it mean to be made in God's image? I can say with most of the rest of the theologians in the history of the world, I don't know. I can I could probably give you a list of things that I know are part of being made in God's image, but nobody can tell you in definitively how how can I briefly summarize to you what it is to be made in God's image? Well, I don't know what it to, in totality it is to be made in the image of the infinite God. But I do know that I can look at humanity and I can say we have capacities that that no one else has, but you know what? I don't think that's the long and short of it. Because you can lose certain capacities as a human. Does that mean you've lost the image of God? Absolutely not. I think what it means primarily to be made in the image of God is that God made us in such a way that when we see each other, when you look at a man, when you look at a, woman, when you look at a boy or a girl, in some way you are looking at someone who is designed to remind you of the one who made you. That you are little pictures of the God of the universe. That's what He created you to be. You have value for that reason. You know that I looked up this week why money has value. Do you want to take a stab at why money has value? Money has value because we say it does. That's actually, that, that's the only reason. If you look, pull, pull out a dollar bill, any dollar bill, any coin, it'll have something on it that says U.S. legal tender. You'll, you'll see that phrase on there. Um, that, that a dollar bill is worth a dollar because the United States says it's worth a dollar. If every country on the planet vanished today and there was no such thing as borders, no such thing as governments, do you know what all of the, the, the dollar bills would be, would be good for? Start a campfire. They're paper. They're cloth. They're worth money because the United States government says they're worth money. That's the same thing with the Canadian dollar. That's the same thing with the Mexican peso. That's the same thing with a, a euro. That's the same thing. 
They have value because somebody somewhere says they do. There's nothing inherent about them that makes them valuable. But you know, it wasn't always that way. Money used to be either linked to or made out of precious metals. Money used to be gold. Now, why is gold valuable? Well, to a, to a degree, kind of the same reason money is now, but not quite. There are certain qualities of gold that it has that no other metal does. Do you know you can go into a pyramid and you can pull out a gold sculpture made during 2000 BC Egyptian dynasty era, and do you know what? That, that gold statue will look the same today as it did then. Gold is a noble metal chemically. It doesn't react. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't really age. It just, it's stable. It stays. Gold's going to look the same 200 years from now if it just sits there as it does today. You can't really say that about silver, can you? Any of y'all that have silver, if you pull it out long enough, as soon as the oxygen hits it, you've got to polish it before you put it up because it starts to tarnish. That's why silver's worth less than gold. Gold is relatively rare. You, there's not as much of it in the world as there is iron, as there is silver. Uh, and gold is also just pretty. That's another reason. That humans, since time immemorial, we've looked at gold and sometimes to our detriment go, ooh, that's shiny, I have to have it. We're, we're distracted by shiny things, aren't we? That's, you know, we laugh at children because they see a shiny thing and then we walk past Zales. And then we just get really big, expensive, shiny things. But gold's beautiful. There are qualities of gold that it has just because it's gold. And that's what gives it its value. Humanity is the exact same way. It doesn't matter if a human is smart or if a human is not as smart. It doesn't matter if a human you think is pretty or if you think that human is not pretty. It doesn't matter if a human is any particular uh, height. It doesn't matter if they're any particular weight. It doesn't matter if they speak any particular language. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. It doesn't matter what the size of their bank account is. It doesn't matter what their religion is. That has nothing to do with the fact that God created them. Let me shatter something for you. And, and there's plenty of scripture. I can take you to Ezekiel and back this up. I feel like I need to say this now. I hadn't planned on it. Do you know that all of those men and women that are part of ISIS, do you know they're men and women created in the image of God? You know Al-Qaeda? Men and women created in the image of God. MS-13, the drug cartel for Mexico and South America, men and women created in the image of God. The homosexual community, men and women created in the image of God. Abortionists created in the image of God. The children that they murder created in the image of God. The poor people in Jefferson County created in the image of God. Fathers and mothers in traditional nuclear family marriages and their children created in the image of God. 
single moms and single dads for whatever reason created in the image of God. College prep AP students created in the image of God. Not college prep AP students created in the image of God. It does not matter what their capacity is. It does not matter what they contribute to society, quote unquote. It does not matter. None of those things matter. They're human. And as such, they have value just because they're human. Y'all, we're in a dangerous position today as a society society because we look at humans and think of them the way government thinks of money. They have value because we say they do. We make value judgments about people based on whatever our criteria is. How How much money do they put into the economy? How much money do they take? From the economy. Are they, are they the same color as us? Therefore they have more value. Are they a different color than us? Therefore they have more value. Are they older and unable to care for themselves? Therefore they have less value. Are they younger and therefore they can care for themselves? And they have more value. You know what? All of those. That is sinful and that flies in the face of God, the God who created us. Humanity as a whole has value. The ways we look at humanity, the way the government looks at money, and by the way, I'm not saying that government's sinful for for making money the way they are. That's not the point. The point is that works for money, but humans ain't money. We can't be boiled down to our financial footprint. But the way we look at humans when we do that is we say things like, this child should be aborted because they're going to be an inconvenience. They're going to prevent me from living my life the way I want to. They're going to prevent me from spending my paycheck the way I want to. So what you do when you do that is you ascribe that human who is made in the image of God a value that is less than the money in your paycheck. You think a human is valuable because you say it is. How about this? A senior adult is given the option of physician-assisted suicide because her quality of life would be so low it wouldn't be worth living. That's not for us to decide. We don't decide the value of someone's life. God does. I don't want us to live in a culture of death where we're looking for when is it okay to snuff out life? And finally, in a less spoken situation, and y'all Christians, hear me out. Specifically Christians. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I want you to hear this too because I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about this. But if you're specifically a Christian, hear me out. Because this is where my heart has been this week. We don't talk about this as much. We will fight tooth and nail to prevent a child from being aborted. Amen? I will. Any one of us could have been. But, once that child is born, 
We forget about them. No single mom, no, don't abort that child. Don't kill that baby. That's a human being made in the image of God. And then she listens and she doesn't abort the baby. And the baby gives birth and then we totally abandon them. Well, she's alive now. That's that mom's fault. She put herself in that situation. They got it. They dug that hole. They better day out of it. That's not Christian. You know what the early church did? And I've said this in a pulpit before. I'll say it again. The early church, the Roman government used to, it was common practice to abort children. Do you know how they did it? It was called exposing their children. If they had a child of a gender they didn't want, so they had a girl and they didn't have enough money to pay a dowry or they didn't think they did, what they would do is when the child was born and they found out that it was a girl, they would take it and leave it on the porch outside overnight and just leave it there until it died. You know what the church would do? The church would take shifts walking around the city and picking up the babies and taking them home and adopting them so that they didn't die. That's one of the ways that the church grew. If the church cared for the children that nobody wanted but had already been born. And maybe the church in America would grow the same way the early church did if we cared as much about the children that weren't aborted after they were born as we cared about them before. I want to read to you a few quotes from a person who is extremely famous in our country right now, but nobody ever speaks her name because it's almost taboo. You may not know her, but you know her legacy. Her name is Margaret Sanger. She is the founding, I almost used the word founding mother, <laughs> um, of Planned Parenthood Federation. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from her. One from 1921 and one from 1957. <clears throat> I'm not making this up. The third group of society are those irresponsible and reckless ones having little regard for the consequences of their acts or whose religious scruples prevent their exercising control over their numbers. Many of this group are diseased, feeble-minded, and are of the pauper element, read poor, Dependent upon the normal and fit members of society for their support, read those producing financially. There is no doubt in the minds of all thinking people that the procreation of this group should be stopped. What she said is, y'all, there are those people out there that they don't think anything about the fact that them having kids is going to be an inconvenience on society. And those kids are usually poor. They're usually not smart. They usually don't contribute anything to society. And what they end up being is they end up being a drain on those of us who do work and pay into the system. So we end up just supporting them by welfare and whatever else. And everybody with common sense knows that the best thing for society would be for us to stop those folks, from, stop those kids from ever being born. This woman is held up by, as a hero by a lot of people. And what is scary is that when we talk about folks who aren't deserving of our help, we echo her. 
We agree with her. Here's another one from 1957. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world. She used the word sin, y'all. These are differing religions. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance to be a human being practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That to me is the greatest sin that people can commit. When we look at children, whether they're the unborn or whether they're born and they're born into a rough situation and we look at them and say, this is a disease on society. They're the problem. They're the drain on resources. They're nothing but some... They're just another mouth for my tax dollars to feed. When we look at them and we think of them that way, we have totally and completely devalued the image of God in those children. In those men and women made in the image of God. And make no mistake, y'all, I've learned something. I've got a six-month-old, okay? Even at six months old, my child is not stupid. She can learn things. She can observe and she can watch and she can figure stuff out. She pitched her first temper tantrum yesterday. Every other time prior to that, I could identify something that was actually wrong. Yesterday, she wanted to pet the cat and the cat didn't want And so she went, and she fake cried, and you could tell it was fake because the muscles above here didn't really move. It's all down here. But she has learned when I cry, I get what I want from mommy and daddy, which is not necessarily a good thing, but hey, that's the world I live in right now. But she's learned at six months old, she can watch what Emily and I do And she's learned from it. What do you think these children learn when they look at a church, the church, not just this one, when they look at the church and the church's response to them is, well, you're just the product of your parents' bad decisions. You know, if your mom would come to church, if your if your if your dad would come to church, then we'd love you. Then we'd help you out. You know, if they tithed, we'd be more happy to help you in your situation. But as it stands, we're not getting anything from you, so you're not going to get anything from us because you're a drain on society and you're a drain on this church. Do you think they'll grow up remembering that? Poor people out in the community, maybe that, that, that aren't a child. That have grown up being told, you're the problem, 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 you're the problem. Solve it. Solve yourself. And to a degree, there are some people who've never been taught how to solve the problem. There's nobody there to love them. There's nobody there to care for them. That just like those Roman babies, they have been left out on the porch of society and said, you're expensive, you're the issue, we don't want you, we're going to leave you out here on the porch of welfare and let you die. It might be the church's job, not this church, the church as a whole. It might be the church's job of which you are part, if you are a Christian, to play the role of the early church and go around and pick these people up off the porch and tell them that somebody loves them. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered? Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You are worth something to God. Unborn children are worth something to God. Children who have been born are worth something to God. Poor people are worth something to God. Matthew 22, verses 17 through 22. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image is an inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. If you would have picked up a Roman denarius on one side, you would have seen the picture of Caesar. It was stamped into the coin from a reverse impression that when the, the, the coin was heated, excuse me, heated, they would have taken the, the coin press and they would have pressed it where you would have gotten a relief of Caesar. The coin was made in Caesar's image. So they said, Caesar's image is on this coin. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Why is it Caesar's? Because it's made in his image. And to God, the things that are God's. Why are we God's? We are made in his image. In the same way that Caesar's image is on the coin, God's image is on us. So the coin is valuable to Caesar because it bears his image. We are valuable to God because we bear his image. Genesis 9, 6. Listen to why God says murder is a sin. He didn't just flip a coin and decide that it was wrong. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Life has value because we are made in the image of God. Every one of us from the womb to the tomb bears his image. And then as a side note, I want to add on verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That echoes what we just saw in verse 26. Male and female, he created them. Now, I don't want to camp here for long, but I do, it's worth saying. Do you know that your, your gender is part of your, your sanctity to God? Do you know that being a man is holy? That being a woman is holy? And that God designed it that way? That part of your humanity is who God made you to be. That is sacred too. And, and we can try all we want. Y'all, I don't care how many options they give you on the birth certificate now. You know, I, I was so sleepy when it happened when they brought the little clipboard around for MC, I don't remember if there was the third option that said other. I hate to tell y'all, there ain't no other. There's not. You can call it what you want. Colleges saying pick your pronoun. What is a Z? There are colleges referring, I heard somebody say what? There are colleges now that will allow a student to pick their preferred pronoun and if they don't want to pick the binary gender he or she, you can pick the word Z. Z-E. 
if you don't want to be pigeonholed into male or female by the pronoun. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. You are either a him or a her. And that's the way God made you. And I don't say that to levy judgment at somebody or to beat somebody with an ideological stick. What I'm telling you is that's the truth and it's futile to push against it and you will be living a less than ideal, less than enjoyable, less than fulfilling, <laughs> less than glorious human life if you try and do it some other way. It doesn't matter whether or not it's legal, that doesn't make it right. And I put Romans 1, 26 and 27 on here so you could hear the language that Paul uses that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men committing with men what is shameful and receiving in self the penalty of their error, which was due. That our gender is part of our created glory. It is part of the way God has made us. It is part of our humanity. And as such, when you deface it, you deface the image of God. And you cheapen your experience as a human. So humanity has a special identity because we're made in the image of God, womb to tomb, every single one of us. No matter how tall we are, how wide we are, or how big our bank account is, we're all made in the image of God. And then second, humanity has a special task. Verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, God blessed humanity, and God called us to do two things. One, to be fruitful and to multiply, and two, to fill the earth and subdue it. In God's eyes, y'all listen, in God's eyes, it is a good thing for there to be a lot of kids and for the earth to be filled with people. In God's eyes, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer when you look at the Bible, doesn't it? It seems like a good thing. Y'all, I love... For the longest time, I was the baby in my family. I was the baby in my family when I was 25 years old. I was tired of being the baby. And this year, at Christmas, for the first time in like eight years, me and all my cousins and their wives got together and all our kids. Y'all, there were more kids in the house than there were adults. And it was glorious. It was pure chaos. <laughs> we had one 18-month-old that could walk. We had one six-month-old that couldn't walk. And we had a whole bunch of other ones that could run, run around outside. One of them wanted to tell you everything. One of them didn't want to tell you anything, but wanted to roll her eyes at her sister who was talking to you about her. And then it, it, there was all kinds of... And it was beautiful. But if God's will is for humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and Satan is opposed to God, what do you think Satan's play is going to be? Don't be fruitful, don't multiply, and keep this earth as empty as you can get it. I want to read to you an article published this week from the Canadian Broadcasting Company. I'm not going to try and pronounce this woman's name because it is I have no idea how to say it. But I'll give you the article if you want. 
The article is titled, It Shouldn't Be Taboo to Criticize Parents for Having Too Many Kids. While having a child or five is a very personal choice, it's also a choice that affects everyone who inhabits our planet. So while many people might find the backlash unwarranted, it's actually a conversation we need to have in order to challenge our uncritical acceptance of the life fulfillment through procreation story. Population control is a fraught topic and carries with it associations with eugenics and other nasty historical events. But we still need to talk about it, and people who reacted strongly to the Gaines pregnancy announcement know this on some level. It's not an exaggeration to say that the survival of our species depends on it. Long story short, the survival of our species depends on us not procreating. That's what she said. The survival of our species is dependent on us not reproducing ourselves. There's already enough. Stop making more humans. Humans are the problem. The earth is too full as it is. Don't be fruitful. Don't multiply. Don't fill the earth. Let the earth subdue you. It is the exact opposite of what God told us to do. Do you see the danger? I'm, I'm going to use the word. Do you see the demonic influence in that thinking? Satan is opposed to everything God is for. Satan doesn't want a full earth. He doesn't want a fruitful humanity. He doesn't want the earth subdued. He wants us to be subdued by it, and he wants God's purpose to be thwarted. Do you know there have actually been countries that attempted legalized population control? This is from the Ethics and Public Policy Center on China and their one-child policy and what happened. China had a policy for years where you were only allowed to have one child. They limited that. Abortions and everything else involved, they limited it. It didn't work. Oh, it limited the population. And it decimated China as a result. Listen to what this has done in the United States, what abortion has done in the United States. Economists of all stripes agree that as a first approximation, the effect of population changes on the economy is approximately proportional. So if the population is reduced by 10%, the size of the economy will correspondingly be reduced by about 10%. That's pretty easy math, right? If you take 10% of the people away, you take 10% of the production away. No evidence suggests, in a modern economy at least, that a larger population has any adverse impact on the per capita income. To the contrary, advanced countries with faster growing populations appear to have more rapidly increasing standards of living. Isn't that interesting? Guys, if we keep procreating, we can't afford the children. We can't produce enough. Well, interestingly enough, history and science seem to show that the more children you have and the more your population grows, the more you're able to produce. Isn't that interesting that it works exactly the way God said it was going to? And then he continues, what this means to abortion is revealing. Almost three decades of legal abortion have reduced the U.S. population by about 11%. 
Therefore, since total output and total income in the United States amounted to about $9.2 trillion in 1999, this figure represents a net loss of at least $1.17 trillion compared to what it would have been if the U.S. population had not been reduced by abortion. The difference, the current size of the economy of California will continue to grow as the proportional diminution of the economy due to abortion will more than triple over the next 50 years. You want to know why we have a national deficit? We aborted ourselves into it. You want to know where all the money went? We didn't ship the jobs overseas. We shipped them to Planned Parenthood. We didn't ship the money away. We shipped it to the abortion clinic. Where did the manufacturing jobs go? We aborted them. Where did the research and development go? We aborted it. We aborted an economy the size of the state of California and we're not done. God have mercy on our souls. Long story short, it's a lie of the devil that limiting the growth of humanity is good for humanity. The Bible tells us it's wrong and that history teaches us the Bible is right. Psalm 127, 3-5 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Malachi 2.15, but he did, not, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Guys, part of the task of humanity is to make more humanity. To fill the earth. Lots of kids are a good thing. What's the application for this? No kid is ever an inconvenience. No child is ever an inconvenience. Never look at a child and say, well, I see the conditions that child was born into. They will amount to nothing. Some children of single moms turn out to be pastors. It's not always easy. Hard. And do I have my issues because of it? Yes. But praise God for a mama who loved Jesus and did not put me out on the porch to die. Her life would have been a lot easier. And I would have been dead. The world would have had one less human. And when we look at kids and we look at them like an inconvenience, oh, well, they just need to quit having kids. They don't have too many. When you see somebody that's had too many kids, remember that there are nations in the world that are legally limiting by abortion the number of kids that can be born. And be happy that we're not that. And if Roe versus Wade ever gets struck down in the United States, your pastor will be out in the street dancing like David.
But it's not just children before they're born. Listen to Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. It's all well and good for us to fight for children before they're born. And we ought to do that. But we can't abandon them after they're born either. Because let me tell you something. A lot of those kids that, that, that we fight to not be aborted that, that go into crisis pregnancy centers and we win that fight and the mom decides to keep that child, that child is going to have issues. You need to know that. That child's going to have issues. He or she is going to have a hard time growing up. They're going to have hard questions to ask and it's going to be very difficult. And they're going to have some social adjustment problems. They're going to have daddy issues. They're going to have mama issues. They might have drug issues. They might have money issues. They might have sex issues. They might have problems with that. That's what we're here for. That's part of our job. Well, that ought to be their parents' job. Yeah, it ought to be. And we ought to obey God all the time. Do we? No. Ought to doesn't always equal does do. Ought to is not an excuse for us to disobey. First John 3, 17 and 18, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Here's your homework, Stapleton Baptist. 